You could be turning to your Bible to the book of Nahum. I'm doing a series on the attributes of God. Last week we looked at the happy Jesus. This morning I'm going to try to give you some balance to some of that. If we were to do a church survey, not just this church, but church people survey, and I would ask you to fill in the blank, God is, just shout out your answer, God is, there's too many answers, um, 99% of the people would say God is love, yeah, that's a big one, what was the other, holy, well, we just sang that, y'all got, you fed into that, uh, I would think 99% of the people would say God is love or God is good or God is great. God is holy. I mean, those are all good answers because uh, God is, is much. But how many people would say God is avenging? An avenging God. You know, that doesn't usually make the survey. And you can look it up, you can Google it, you can go to your Bible software, and you will find there are more references to God's anger than there are references in this book to God's love. So we can't get away from the fact that our God is a vengeing, a God who takes out vengeance. Let me give you an example of that from the book of Psalms, Psalm 7 verse 11 interesting um, declaration about our God. Psalm 7 verse 11 says, God is a righteous judge and a God who has indignation every day. Wow! Indignation being anger over injustice every single day. I don't know any of us in this room who has that much anger. Every day, our God finds things on this planet to be upset about. Injustices that are happening that fuel the flames of his fury. Uh, look at, you know, to give it some balance. I'm not saying that's obviously all God. Last week, we looked at how God... Uh, Christ was a joyous uh, Jesus. But look at, look at some balance. Look at Psalm 32. Excuse me, not Psalm 32. Deuteronomy 32, beginning at verse 39. Deuteronomy 32. It says, beginning at verse 39, See now that I, I am He. There's no God beside me. It is I who put to death and give life. I mean, that's a very emphatic statement. God's in charge. If you are here today because of God, he put life into your being. If you're dead tomorrow, God did that too. He's in charge. There's no other one in charge of life and death. He says, I have wounded and it is I who heal. And there is no one who can deliver from my hand. Indeed, I lift up my hand to heaven and say, as I live forever, if I sharpen my flashing sword and my hand takes hold on justice, I will render vengeance on my adversaries. And I will repay those who hate me. 
And I will make my arrows drunk with blood, and my sword will devour flesh with the blood of the slain and cap- the captives and the long-haired leaders of the enemy. By the way, I don't know what to do with that. Um, you bald-headed people, you, can, you might want to want that verse. God's obviously a little prejudiced. You know, I don't know. Long-haired leaders of the enemy. Rejoice, O nations, with his people, for he will avenge the blood of his servant, servants and will render vengeance on his adversaries and will atone for his land and his people. There's the gospel in the Old Testament. Christ atones for a people and where they are. And, and, and see the significance of this because several places through here, he mentions God has enemies, God has adversaries. These enemies and these adversaries are people who are against his people that he is willing to die for. And he says, if I have a people, which I do, and I'm willing to atone for them, if I'm willing to forgive them of their sins, if I'm going to give my life for them, don't you bet I'm going to stand up when you come against them. And that will anger me. Because if I have created this world, and in this world, I find the people that I take great delight in, and I give my life for them, and you come against that, then you're an enemy. You're an adversary. That's not just. That's not right. And God gets angry. And I hope we begin to see the value God places on his church, on you as believers, that he does not only die for you, he stands up and fights for you. And he does not let the enemy come against you. And destroy you. He's the one in charge of life and death. He makes sure that if he promises you life, you get life eternal. That's the glory of our God's anger. That he destroys the enemy and the adversary of the church. Well, one example of that is in Nahum. And I want you to see that this morning. So let's turn to the book of Nahum. If you're If you don't have a device, you've got it in the Bible. It's right in the middle of the minor prophets. So you get through with the big guys like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. You come to the the minor prophets. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. So if you're trying to find it, you could start with the end of the Old Testament and just go back six or seven books. There it is. Nahum, small book. If you're in my discipleship class, you're going to find out and you know everything about Nahum this morning. You're going to know about Nineveh. It says, verse 1, the oracle of Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum the Elkishite. Well, you're going to see that God's pretty upset with Nineveh. Uh, God's angry at Nineveh. He's going to wipe out Nineveh. Uh, Who is Nineveh? Nineveh is the capital city of of the Assyrian Empire. Assyria was the world empire that destroyed God's people in Israel, in Samaria, in 722 B.C. Ask anybody in my class, they could tell you this stuff, okay? And, uh, but some of you don't get it yet. You think about world empire. The world empire of Assyria has a capital, right? The capital city is Nineveh. And Nineveh, in its day was the largest city on the planet. It's bigger than Atlanta. It's bigger than New York. It's bigger than L.A. It's bigger than Mexico City. 
That's Nineveh. It's in the Fertile Crescent. It's huge. Now you hear about it on TV when they say Mosul of Iraq. That's Nineveh. In its day, it was top dog. Biggest thing going on the earth. God used them to chasten his people in Israel. He even sent Jonah there. Great message of Jonah having the biggest revival ever known to man was in Nineveh. Well, God gave it a little while, and Nineveh turns against God. And Nineveh really gets really a little haughty. They get a little arrogant. They start mocking the church, God's people. Remember, we just read, God gets upset when you play with his church. Let me give you an example of it. Look over. Well, let me, let me show it to you, Nahum. You're there before I turn you away. Verse 2. A jealous and avenging. Notice how many times it talks about God's anger in just a verse and a half. A jealous and avenging God. There's one. Is the Lord. The Lord is avenging. That's two. And wrathful. That's three. The Lord takes vengeance. That's four. On his adversaries. The, he reserves wrath. That's five. For his enemies. He is slow to anger. There's six, and great in power. The Lord will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. You could make that a seventh. I mean, it's like kind of redundant. It's like he gets mad. And he's really trying to show that by that repetitive um, language. Look over at Zephaniah chapter 2. Zephaniah happening at the same time, talking about the same kind of stuff going over. So if you just go to to the right in your Bible, a couple books. You get to Zephaniah. Let me read it to you, beginning at chapter 2, verse 8. It says, I have heard the taunting of Moab and the revilings of the sons of Ammon, with which they have taunted my people and become arrogance against my, their territory. Therefore, as I live, declares the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, surely Moab will be like Sodom. So you got mad at my church. You became an adversary, so I'm going to wipe you out just like I did Sodom. And the sons of Ammon, just like Gomorrah. And place a place possessed by nettles and salt pits and a perpetual desolation. The remnant of my people will plunder them, and the remainder of my nation will inherit them. This they will have in return for their pride, because they have taunted and become arrogant against the people of the Lord of hosts. The Lord will be terrifying to them, he will, for he will starve all the gods of the earth and all the coastlands of the nations and bow down to him, every one from his own place. You also, O Ethiopians, will be slain by my sword, and he will stretch out his hand against the north and destroy, here we are, Assyria, and he will make Nineveh a desolation. And why is he doing this? See, Nineveh, capital city of Assyria, the world empire. God says, he starts with Moab. He says, I'm going to destroy them because they're arrogant and they're taunting. And by the way, there are other people who are arrogant and taunting. And he starts mentioning them. And one of those is Nineveh. And the whole kingdom of Assyria is like those Israelites, church of God, they're nothing. We wiped them out. And they start getting proud and boastful and arrogant and before long they're they're coming against God's people as if 
the church has no value. God's people have no value. You know anybody like that? Who doesn't value the people for which Christ died? I mean, I often share that sometimes even in marriage counseling. Do you realize your spouse, if you're both believers, do you, do you realize your spouse is someone for whom Christ died? How dare you treat that person with disrespect? How dare you treat them so lightly? Can you not see God stand up in heaven and get mad? Don't you know about Nineveh? Don't you know about Sodom and Gomorrah? Don't you know how God wiped everyone off the face of the earth in Noah's day? I mean, do you not see God's passion for his people? That's Nahum chapter 1. God says, I take out vengeance on those who don't value me and my church and my people. He says, that's serious offense. That's, that's not right. And you think you're going get, to get away with that, go ask Sodom and Gomorrah how that works out. So it's not going to be well for you. We, we need to understand the inflexible wrath and justice of God. Um, you know, there are people today who say, no, no, I, I don't believe in God. Like, oh, really? Why don't you believe in God? Well, because... Everybody says God's loving. If God's loving, why do so many bad things happen? I just don't believe in God. And I start right there and say, whoa, 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 stop, stop. Where did you get such a bad view of God? What do you mean? Where does the Bible say God's only loving? I said, have you not ever heard of Noah? Have you never heard of the flood? Have you never heard of Nineveh? Have you never seen God wipe off whole generations? Do you not understand God is an avenging God? He's not just a God of love. Where did you get that crazy view? There's more references to his anger than to his love. People are like, whoa. See, that's why we need the attribute study that we understand who God really is. Your view of God is all messed up if you think God doesn't get mad at sin and especially those sins that are against him and his church. Really, every sin's against him. It's an offense. But then you start messing with his bride? I mean, that's the same for every man in here who has a wife. You can do a lot to me. You mess with my bride. You know, I become a different person. I become an avenger. And God says, that's what happens. And he's given us example after example in the scripture of that. Now, don't miss verse 3. The Lord is slow to anger. Praise God. If it wasn't for his slowness, we'd be all doomed and damned a long time ago. God's slowness is his mercy and his grace. He doesn't fly off the handle. Some of you fly off the handle every time you get on the bathroom scales. You know, bam. Ah! God doesn't do that. He is slow to anger. And that slowness is a tremendous 
grace and mercy. But it doesn't mean his anger has gone away. Look over at Romans chapter 2. Here's kind of gives you a glimpse into the storage tank of God's anger. Uh, the anger hasn't gone away. It's, it's been stored. Romans chapter 2, begin at verse 4. He says, Do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience? That's, that's slow stuff. He's kind, he's tolerant, he's patient. Not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance. So all that patient waiting is to give you an opportunity to turn from your sins and seek his forgiveness. Verse 5, but because of your stubbornness, so if you don't do that, because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each person according to his deeds. So there it is. He says, there's times you should be wiped, wiped out, right? Why are you not wiped out? Well, because God is so kind and tolerant and patient. But he didn't wink at the sin and let it go away. He put it in reserve. He says, actually, you are storing it up. And there's going to be a line in the sand, and there's going to be a day when God says, okay, enough, I'm not taking that anymore. And all of your punishment that's on reserve comes at you with such force, you're done. God is an avenging God. He takes out his vengeance on his adversaries. He's inflexible. He does not lie. See the example of Nineveh. See the, any, I've already shared the example of Sodom, the example of Gomorrah, the example of Noah's day. See the example over and over and over. That, and, and you don't know a single person that's ever left this earth without being wiped off by God. That's what God does. So realize there's no escape. You know, there, there were times I thought um, I could impress my parents with my justice, my fairness, when they wanted to spank me, discipline me for my injustice. You ever try? It's not my fault. It's not my fault. It's my brothers. It's my sisters. You know, all this. They finally pull out the belt and do what they need to do. And I can't look back at that and think I ever convinced them that I was good. And I was, I was not the one at fault. There was plenty of times I got away with a lot. I didn't get punished when I should have. But when I did get punished, I, I deserved it. We all do. God's so tolerant, so loving, so patient. When we finally do get punished, there's no doubt we deserve it. So grateful. Wow, what a Savior. That he says, Right now is the day of salvation. Right now is the day of repentance. The, the fact that I haven't wiped you off the planet Earth is your opportunity to repent and to be forgiven and to have all of those offenses wiped clean. Wow. What mercy and grace. But some people don't seek mercy and grace. Some people are stubborn. And so God's wrath is being stored. 
We need to know about that. That gives us more drive to be compassionate towards those who are offensive to God, that we can share with them the good news. Well, let's look at some of this impressive wrath of God. Not only is it inflexible, it's coming. It just overwhelms us. It's so impressive um, in its nature. Uh, Halfway through verse 3, it says, In a whirlwind and a storm is his way, and clouds are the dust beneath his feet. He rebukes the sea, makes it dry. He dries up all the rivers, Bashan, Carmel, wither. The blossoms of Lebanon wither. Mountains quake because of him. You remember, see, Nineveh's in that fertile crescent, thinking nothing can ever dry up, nothing can ever go bad. And God says, oh, yeah, it can. Watch this. That's pretty impressive for that crowd. Mountains, verse 5, quake because of him, and the hills dissolve. Indeed, the earth is upheaved by his presence, the world and all the inhabitants in it. Who could stand? Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the burning of his anger? His wrath is poured out like fire, and the rocks are broken up by him. I mean, doesn't it make you think about some of the fires in California or some of the the floods in Hawaii right now? Some of that stuff like, everybody says, who can stand when that stuff is coming against you? You can't stand. You try to run, but God is saying, there's not going to be a place to run it's it's it will overwhelm you when that judgment is poured out and it is poured out because God is holy a holy God must be a just God a just God must take vengeance especially on those for whom he has died his church Um, and realize when he does take out vengeance he's never flying off the handle it's not that he didn't think, oh, I shouldn't have done that. No, he, he's thinking about it every day. And when he comes to the conclusion it must be done, it must be done. And there will be no talking him out of it because of the amount of time and wisdom he's poured into it. And it's going to happen. It's, it's imminent because God's with us. He's, he's never left us. Verse 7. Here's the gospel again in the Old Testament. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those who take refuge in him. But with an overflowing flood, he will make a complete end of its sight and will pursue his enemies in the darkness. Um, so God will come. It will be uh, dreadful and it will overwhelm. But don't miss that wonderful verse, verse 7. The Lord's good. So he's not just avenging. He's He's also good, and he's willing to give us refuge, stronghold in the day of trouble. Um, He's a refuge right now. How does he do that? There's a a great New Testament word that we sometimes just don't put enough weight on, and it's the word propitiation. Okay? You got it? Propitiation. But this is where it fits better in any place. Because propitiation means, basically, to pacify the wrath of God. To satisfy the wrath of God. See, God's storing up this wrath. It it has to come out on his adversaries and his enemies. Look at the word in 1 John. 
Let me read it to you two places there. 1 John chapter 2 and then 1 John 4. 1 John 2. And what good news we find. 1 John chapter 2. 1 and 2. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. And then also, 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. What that is saying is, God's got, God is an avenging God, and he wants to, and he not only wants, he must pour out his wrath. And Christ is the propitiation. Christ says, no, Father, no, take me. Put your wrath on me, and let my church go Unbelievable news. He is our refuge. The Lord is good. Unbelievable. That he would take up, take all the wrath that I deserved. And he would satisfy God's holy justice. Say, pour it out on me. Let me pay. Let me die for his sins. Let me be under your wrath. Let me spill my blood. And as he does that for us, can you not see how that just fuels his love for us even more to want us and to defend us and to protect us and to build us as his glorious bride and his glorious church. That is happening because we have an avenging God. So what does that do for us? What are some applications? should give us a greater hatred for sin. Every sin is storing up wrath. Christ must pay for. We should hate our sin. We should have a better fear of God. Number three, I didn't write it down in your outlines, but I think we should have a greater understanding and love for the church for which he died and not be an adversary, not ever come against. We should be those who are supporting and loving his church, individually and corporately. We should have a fervent praise for our salvation. What a Savior we have. And we should have greater assurance that if God comes for us, we're secure in Him forever. Let's pray together.